Three, two. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sank Cast. I'm Adam, if we've never met before. I'm the pastor of Sank Young Adults Ministry, Menlo Church. And I got a friend with me today. Tell us who you are, my friend. Hello, everyone. Hello, Sank community. My name is Kyle. I'm a longtime friend of Menlo, served in many capacities, many internships, was on staff with students for a little while. Longtime Sank attendee, friend of Adam, and yeah, really, um, yeah, thankful to have this time and this space here with the Sank podcast. Yeah, dude, I'm pumped you're here. Are do you feel any pressure at all that this is going to be the first video podcast we've done? Yeah, I do a lot more of the of the writing stuff. The words on page is much more comforting to me than my <laughs> face on a video. I don't, I've never really thought about like marketing my my face on the internet. So a little scared of that. Yeah. Sure. Well, is that why you wore this shirt today, though? Because you knew you were going to be... <laughs> With so much COVID stuff, I try to wear, like, decent clothes in the house just to make it feel like real life, you know? It's brilliant. You know, got it. It's brilliant. I've heard that life hack that you're supposed to dress up like you're going to work. I have not been right. following that rule. So maybe right. that's that's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your, that's your problem, Adam. That's right. <laughs> Well, everybody, obviously, it's been a while since we had the the Sandcast. I think the last one, the last three we've done have been on uh, racial justice and uh, just continually want to continue to have that conversation. Um, but we're shifting gears a little bit today. Uh, we'll get to it in, in a little bit. But it's another topic that I think sometimes the Christian community has uh, strayed away from a little bit. And I'm so excited. Uh, we're going to be talking about climate change. And I'm going to, we're going to have a debate. I'm going to, t- I'm going to argue with Kyle that as Christians, climate change should not be real. I'm just kidding. This is news I'm to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to do a debate. The sports shows where it's like, it's the Skip yes. and Shannon. One guy right. hates LeBron, the other guy, and they just need to do the act. Yeah, exactly. You have to have a hot take. We're on YouTube now. We have to have hot takes if people are going to watch this. No, obviously, we're not going to go that route. But we, man, Kyle and I both uh, are just passionate about um, taking care of our earth and the creation God's given us. And so I think, man, who should be talking about this more than people who believe in in a good God that created things with goodness? So super stoked about that. So I'm pumped you guys are here. But before we get into that, every guest we've had on the Sandcast, we have played a game, get to know you game. And so we're going to do that with you, Kyle. This game is a game I made up specifically for the Sandcast called Two Truths and a Lie. Got it. Got it. I may or may not have made it up. but uh, So we're going to play Two Truths and a Lie. Usually Mark Marnici is with us. He's the unstumpable one. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll take his place today. Okay. Got it. Well, this is this is a good one. It's the first collaborative two truths and a lie. So, Adam, mm. you do know. Maybe it's more for for the audience to guess what. Okay. But the two truths and lie structure here. Play along if you're listening. One is that Adam and I actually have the same favorite novel. Two is that Adam and I actually have the same favorite movie. And three is that Adam and I have the same favorite band. Two of those are true, but Adam, let's just make sure we're on the same page. So what is our favorite book? Yeah. Okay. So that, as you're going through, I'm like, I think I know these, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Are, are we, is it East of Eden for both of us? 
Yes, I think for both of us, we're both interchangeable with East of Eden and the road, depending on the oh, day, depending on the mood. If we're doing a climate podcast, it might be the road. I've got but, the road in East of Eden right there on my, there. my nightstand. So we share okay. that one. Yes. So we're definitely on the same page for favorite movie. I know. So let's let's go to a favorite band next. I'm curious who your favorite... Wait, wait why don't you guess... I'm switching well, your to the favorite game. band. We're not even playing the game, right? But your favorite band is Radiohead. You're right. Which that is awesome because the lead singer of my favorite band says radio is his favorite band. So my favorite band's in 1975. 1975. Matty Healy's that. favorite band, he has said on it on record, is Radiohead. Let's go. So you're just the younger version exactly. of things I like. 1975 exactly. is the new Radiohead. Right. Uh okay, so yeah, definitely our favorite movie. Yeah. Nobody else listening has probably seen this. <laughs> Maybe a couple. We'll say it on three. One, One two, three. Tree, tree of Life. Tree of Life. Uh, I went to Tree of Life in the theater when it came out. And it was so confusing to people because it was a Brad Pitt movie. Sean Penn was in it. Right. Huge stars. Right. <laughs> and then you I, saw, I watched dinosaurs. five people walk out of the theater. Those aren't my people. They were like, what is it? What is this? Yeah, so people. quick warning for you if you are listening. You're like, oh, Tree of Life. I think Adam and Kyle are cool. Maybe I'll go watch that flick. <laughs> you need, I need to give you a warning. It's, it's less of a, a blockbuster, more of a, a art piece. So it's a thinker for sure. It's an it's emotional okay. one. It's amazing, but don't, uh, don't think it's going to be like a popcorn movie by any no means. No popcorn. Right. Lots of existential contemplation, which is a great transition to yes, perfect. Our topic it now. really is, dude. If Tree of Life is a movie to pair with climate change, or if any movie is a Tree of Life for sure. Uh, well, before we just get straight into our topic, you know something uh, I'd love to just talk about, like why does this even matter? And I sort of alluded to it already. But, you know, I think um, there are things in our culture right now uh, that for whatever reason, we have tended to say, well, that's a, that's a secular topic. That's a topic in the world. And those of us who follow Jesus, we're a part of a different kingdom or we're part of a different tribe or whatever you want to word it since we're not of the world we get to sort of hit pass on things like this right that can be an approach totally and so this is one of those things there's plenty of other ones where we i I just feel like the christian community has sort of just said yeah i don't know about that or or uh, you know we're so tied into our theology of going to heaven when i die I've also heard the the argument from the Christ, from certain Christians of like, you know, this is this earth's going to pass away anyways. I'm going to heaven. What's the big deal, right? Uh, which <laughs> feels super selfish and not the right way to look at. It. Anyways, um, but why we want to talk about it? A, I feel like we want to be the kind of community that is uh, invested in our world and our culture, and there is no secular versus sacred. It's like all sacred it's all a part of the conversation and so we need to be a part of this conversation uh i do feel like people in sank you can correct me if i'm wrong here but i think are a little more up to date with these kind of topics i think this generation more than my parents generation a little more knowledgeable about issues like this but i would say uh similar 
to our learnings with uh, racial injustice. Like we, it's time for us to get uh, just super um, in a learning posture, man, we want to learn. We want to understand so we can do good in this world. And so if you're listening to this, if you found us on YouTube randomly, or if you're, you're a sank person through and through, I just think this is a, a super important topic for us to figure out how, how can we bring God's kingdom of goodness and love to a situation like this. So, uh, so the reason Kyle's here along with that is, uh, Kyle's done a ton of research on this and it's just become, I don't know, it's become one of your most passionate, like topics, right? Would you say just in your life? Yeah, it really has been. And just with me being here with this conversation, I, I think it's, I was thinking about this earlier. It's often in Christian communities, language of being called to, to this and or that is sort of, it, it comes up a lot. And I've definitely felt that and, and think that stuff is valid. But when it comes to me at climate change, it, it's more like I've been, like it's shouted at me. I've been, I've been screamed yeah. at by it. And so, you know, my formal, formal education is not in this, but just over the past two, three years. I've just done a lot of reading and digging into this topic. It's just something that feels so massively important that um, honestly, I mean, in the same way that some people maybe learn how to teach themselves the guitar or teach themselves a new hobby or something like that, I've sort of just taken a deep dive into this topic and just over the last couple of years have read from a lot of scientists and journalists um, sort of where this um, has come from, where we're headed, if we don't make some serious, serious changes very quickly. Um, And, you know, in no way do I feel like an authority on this topic, but just feel like I have listened to the right people, you know, to do this. And man, if I'm equipped with anything special, it's just, I think, I feel a sort of responsibility to, Mm. to take in this information and this topic, even though it's really hard and we would all much rather do something else, but yeah, uh, man, in the same way, especially coming from um, a sort of perspective of of privilege um, or perspective of whiteness on the, uh, on the social justice topic, it's like racial justice topic that just makes us uncomfortable. And I would just rather watch something else, but man, I think we're just 2020 is just a year of like, wake up, wake that's up, right. wake up. And so, um, yep. yeah, that's the only reason I feel qualified just to share, you know, in this setting. So, yeah, I love that dude. And I, I think even your description of, you know, a calling versus just something that's screaming at you, that actually feels to me more of what a biblical calling is like the prophets yeah. in the old Testament. Uh, a lot of times they didn't hey, want to, they did hey not want you yes. now the right. three words of calling. Hey, you, that's right. right. Now. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable and it's, it's painful, but it's just so clear to them. I have to do this, even if it, even if it's bothersome. So I love that. I, I feel like that's probably a good indication that you have a calling. Um, so I love that. So start. Yeah. Yeah. So we know you're not authority, but I just appreciate all the learning uh, that you've done and the posture you've taken. So I'd love for you just to sort of lay out for us uh, uh, a framework of, of climate change and why that matters to us. Yeah, climate change, especially as a perspective from, um, from the Christian perspective, it was really interesting, uh, fun fact for anyone listening, the first sanctuary that was canceled because of COVID back in March, I was right. actually scheduled 
to speak on climate at sync that I forgot about that 17th or whatever so um, <laughs> right. that was the first sunday of no church was going to be the first i don't know if it's first but first climate change topic and it was really interesting i was speaking with um with a, a fellow life group leader um leading up to that she was asking me about this i told her i was speaking on climate change at sanctuary and this is someone uh whose faith i really respect really look up to this person in a lot of ways see them as a close friend but something she said has really stuck with me because i was in the my season my time of preparation for that sermon told her i was speaking on climate change at church and she asked almost in a way that communicated some doubt she said oh are you going to use scripture to inform that and I thought that was really interesting because it came from someone who I really like and respect, you know, think highly of. But I thought that that really demonstrated that kind of sacred secular split or maybe that yeah, idea yeah. that things like climate change or or racial justice or things like that from a, a church, from a perspective like Menlo Church could seem like, oh, that's kind of left politics that's yep. not really you know at the core of evangelical christianity and it's that you know even though i was a little discouraged by it i was equally encouraged because i was like no 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 we got to build the bridge between creation care which is really what it is if you want to use slightly more biblical language sure, sure, creation sure. care and the mission of a disciple of jesus christ and that's so right. you know sort of my question and answer framework for this conversation is do we as christ followers have something unique and meaningful to contribute to the human response to the climate emergency and i would say the answer is yes that as builders of the kingdom described in the sermon on the mount we can because we're led by principles of compassion yeah. rather than a likelihood of results or rather than a sort of utilitarian if i do a we're guaranteed to get the thing i think as disciples, you know, we're, we're really called to be people led by Christ's sort of servant leadership in the world, yeah. whether or not that yields a reward, whether or not that yields a result. Um, obviously, we know that the path of Christ, though it does end with resurrection, includes a sort of death in it, a sort yeah. of yeah. not getting what you deserved really. And that as we participate in this life of discipleship with Christ, we sort of opt into that life arc as well. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, you know, I would just say just to start there to build a bridge. Yes. As Christians, our human response to the climate emergency not only matters, but can also be greatly informed by what we believe as Christians um, rather than any kind of detraction to it of this doesn't matter. It's not important, you know, quite the opposite. Yep. You know, there are things Christians can bring to the climate change response, perhaps that, that some other people, you know, can't. And so you get it. I love that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so great. Uh, if anybody should be looking out for the interest of others to use, uh, biblical phrase from philippians that's us like that's what jesus he showed us the way to look to the interest of others and the world and i man i can't help but think of my kids and how you know the idea of of the climate changing and what that means has has really been altered when i think through what is this going to be 30 years from now for my yeah. kids and so it's really age, yeah yeah when they're my wait how old do you think i am like you were in Radiohead, they were big in the 60s, right? They were, it was like them and then the Beatles, right? Right. 
But yeah, exactly. Like I, it's really, that's given me a little more of a tool to think through like, man, how selfish is it of me to think, well, yeah, it's, it might get a little hotter over the next 30 years or something, but it's like, no, what about my kids and their kids? And then it's way worse. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets you out of your, your, your mode of thinking about, yeah. How does this affect me personally? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what, what have you learned specifically about climate change? What what was that screaming voice? Like help us hear that, that, that voice. Yeah, absolutely. I think to start starting good place to start is that there is I'm sure a lot of us we already know that the elementary basics of, of you know greenhouse gases and things like carbon dioxide and methane trap heat in the atmosphere which do things like you know melt polar ice caps which then reflect less heat back into space which means more heat which means a change in climate and longer droughts which means more fires which means that the carbon that trees take out of the air is then put back into the air when they burn which means more carbon which means more melting which means more fires and so on and so on and so on and so the screaming sort of came when i learned as far as a scientific finding is that there is right now more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than in any time in human history that scientists believe it's been between 300 or an 800,000 years since there was this much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So if you want to get into numbers briefly, they measure carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by parts per million, uh, which is kind of like per, not that air is measured in kilograms, but how many milligrams per kilogram, basically that ratio. And at the start of the 20th century, there were 280 ppms of CO2 in in the atmosphere, global climate, sitting healthy. That gets to about 300 by the middle of the century, and then skyrockets to 410, 415 right now. And I think another sort of climate myth that was really important for me to hear is so often, or maybe until recently, the discussion on climate change has been in terms of generations or centuries of, oh, it started back when the industrial revolution or model T cars. And, you know, it's getting a little hotter now, but really it'll be our great grandchildren that'll start to sense it. But um, another, another climate fact is that all half half of all the greenhouse gases ever put in to the atmosphere by humans has happened in the last 30 years, Ugh. 30 years, half of all of the damage has been added basically in my lifetime. Yeah. And so that sort of pace, I think we hear the word sustainable a lot, you know, these chicken eggs were sustainably raised. Honestly, sure. I think that's a little bit of a weak use of the word. What we're saying is that you know, if we sustain this output of greenhouse gases, we are going to alter the world's climate to make it quite literally uninhabitable. That the only reason humans and animals and vegetation has been able to grow and expand the way we have was because we've had a certain environment and ecosystems that make that possible. Right. And with each gigaton of carbon dioxide and methane that we put into the air, we create for ourselves a new and much more terrifying uh, climate reality. And so that really is, is the screaming that it's happening now, it's happening fast. And there isn't a lot of time to set it right. And so, yeah. 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 
Dude, yeah, it's just mind blowing, and it's uh, it's scary. I I think you know. I think you were uh, there with me. A group of us uh, staff members went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium yeah. a few years back and um, got invited to this little presentation behind the scenes. And initially, it was about uh, like recycling. It was about the plastic. In the uh, yeah, more about the ocean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. meaningful day. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which, you know, <laughs> it was eye opening, like terrifying enough. Like, honestly, uh, a little embarrassing to say, but up to that point, like I was a, a plastic bottle guy, just didn't see the huge deal behind it. Just so much more convenient to have plastic water bottles, like in my fridge. Yeah. But that, like, that was just so shocking. I, I think I'd heard things about straws or certain plastics. And then to see, to hear his, uh, you know, just case and to see it, you know, we're right by the ocean was shocking and woke a lot of us up. But then I think someone asked at some point, like, or maybe he said himself, but this is not near, this is not the biggest issue that's yeah. facing us. And he, and he really went into from his perspective of, of what climate change was. And I just remember just being shocked and a little, uh, honestly, and I'd love for you to speak into this, like, and maybe we can get to this later. Maybe this is not the right time quite yet, but, uh, it can, it, it can be super depressing. Like even just you reading yeah. some of the stats that you read, it's just like, okay. No, uh, it's heartbreaking. A lot of what I'm saying here, what I wrote about is informed by this book, the uninhabitable earth by David Wells. Um, just a really great place to start, um, for, for that. And one thing that I just read a couple of days ago here is that we're on pace in 2050 for there to be more tons of plastic in the ocean than tons of fish. And that is just heartbreaking. Yep, yep. You know, I think this is what the climate emergency does is it makes people who have mostly live in suburbs or cities suddenly become nature lovers because your heart breaks for the beauty of yep. this earth that is evaporating in our life. And it just, it, like it's the shout, it's the do something. And so, yeah. And I think that's important to bring up that kind of the depression or the shame and, you know, in no way do I want to equate uh, the conversation on racial justice and climate They're two very sure. different things. I'm not drawing sure. a, a parallel between the two, but they, to, to many ears, they can be so shocking or, or saddening in a way, in a way that can ascribe a kind of guilt or shame yep, that can yep. make you want to detach and disengage Yep. to say, well, I didn't know when I bought a Dasani bottle of water yep. that I was going to, I didn't know that plastic actually doesn't get recycled. That, that is mostly a myth, you know? And yep, so it yep. kind of, you know, is that book floating around? It's getting some criticism. I'm just talking about the idea of it, but of like white fragility of like, Oh, when you sure. hear these things, we, we retreat, but then how much more so does something like, you know, the climate conversation have the, the, potential to do that because we've all taken cross country flights. We've all thrown yeah. away plastic. We've all, you know, run the dryer too long, you know, whatever it is, we're all sort of a part of this. We came into this world. And I just want to say like, don't let that feeling of either kind of like climate depression or shame or guilt keep you from engaging in this much more the rest of your life. Like we yeah. all came into this world that was just built the way it was for us. It was like this when we showed up with filling up your car with gasoline yeah. and flying when you got to fly and single use plastics. So I just want to say like, it's That's not good. your fault, but like, let's wake up and do way better for the rest of our life. So 
That's really good, man. And uh, as the uh, the official pastor here, let me say something super <laughs> Jesus-y or, you know, the, like, I, I think that uh, this is a common thing for Christians in general is, is guilt and shame or something. Yeah. Any of us, especially that sort of grew up in this tradition, uh, that's mm-hmm. something we, we almost get comfortable with a little bit. It's like part of our, yeah, uh, part of like our journey. Bad it's like, yeah, things. your righteousness, uh, the is guilt your shame. and shame. I did this wrong. Yeah. And, and, you know, eye opening thing for me is when a mentor really talked to me about, um, uh, look at Jesus and his, his way of dealing with people and how, how often were guilt and shame a part of his process. And, and they never were. And they're natural feelings, and that's a part of the process. But with Jesus, it's always about eye-opening and repentance. And repentance yeah. for us, you like even saying the word repentance, I feel some guilt, I feel shame, or like baggage. But really, repentance is just a an acknowledgement, sort of eye-opening, awakening, and then a turning from that. And yeah. we have and to the have turning the is what we're interested here when it comes to these topics yeah. that are coming right in front of our face, you know, in, in 2020. And we're just seeing Jesus, if we're going to create a more just and livable, more kingdom like world in the next decade or so, man, we got to turn and we got to turn quick because these things are happening and they're happening fast. And so, you know, and, and I love that language of repentance because it's, it's a thoughtful sort of grace-based choosing of a better life. We're not being guilted into better choices. We're being invited and redeemed into them. And so like, let's let that be the ground that we stand on when we think about our better choices moving forward and our action when it comes to this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, keep going a little, give us a little more about climate change and then uh, we'll talk about some, just some things, practical things we can start uh, to, to repent. Yeah, I would say that the the two really ways to understand the, the magnitude and sort of how climate change exists in it, sort of in our, our lives, which I don't know how else it would exist, but uh, there's there's two wings of the plane, really. It's the scientific and the political. And you really mm. can't really make progress in this field without ex- cooperation and progress uh, from each. And I would say that if there's anything encouraging about what we're facing with, with, with climate change, it's that there's a bug in my room. Um, (laughs) It's that so, so much of whether it's the knowledge and not all of the technology, but a lot of the technology and the things that we need to happen already do exist. Like people have said that just a small chunk of the Sahara desert in theory, receives as much solar energy as is needed to power like almost the entire world. And it's just, and we, we wow. solar, solar energy does exist and certain kinds yeah, of yeah. nuclear energy does exist. And so much of, you know, what we need to have exist to make progress does exist. What's depressing, however, is the lack of action and lack of listening that's happened by many of the world's major leaders. And, and so, you know, I won't spend more than, you know, 10 or 20 seconds on, on this current administration, but, you know, in case we're wondering if we're going to vote on, on lines from this coming election on, on the environment, um, this current administration does not take climate change seriously. One of the first things President Trump did in office was pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which was a treaty signed by 195 countries, basically saying, we're going to do better, we're going to lower our emissions. 
And with the U.S. being the second biggest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world, you know, even though it's just one out of 195 countries that says, uh uh-uh, no, it it really, really matters. Um, President Trump appointed a man named Andrew Wheeler to direct the Environmental Protection Agency, who has spent his entire career almost as a coal baron. Um, And so it's almost fascinating. um, Yeah. So, you know, I'll stop there. But we need to change there. And there's so much influence that goes into this. And it's not just the United States. Um, In Brazil, President Bolsonaro in the last couple of years has opened up the Amazon rainforest for business. (laughs) They're bulldozing the Amazon rainforest Hmm. and putting up shopping malls and apartments. And the Amazon rainforest is actually the biggest carbon sink that exists on land. So the trees of the Amazon rainforest take out more carbon from the air than any other rainforest in the entire earth. And so it's been estimated one way to measure greenhouse gases output is by gigatons. And China is the world's biggest emitter of greenhouse gases at about nine gigatons a year. And it's estimated by 2030, if this developing of the Amazon rainforest continues, that that project alone could add 15 gigatons of CO2 to the air because you're taking out the things that takes it out. And so, you know, and China's actually recently made a, a commitment to be carbon neutral by 2060, mm-hmm. uh, which is far too slow, but is much more than the United States is doing right now. Right, right. Um, there is hope if administration leadership changes, but, um, you know, that's really when we think if we're going to, for a second, just pause a sort of Sermon on the Mount informed approach to climate change. Um, the science and the technology behind it, um, and also, you know, the leverage and influence of major world leaders to take this seriously are so, so Mm. important. And obviously, you know, we need to do everything we can with voting and writing to our congressmen and women um, to take this seriously. So that's sort of the the quick spiel on on the politics of climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that's good. That's again, that's something else uh, we tend to stray from in the church world. And, and I think it's, it's not only okay, policy is something uh, we need to engage in and we're going to have differing opinions with that and that's okay. Uh, But I do think what's convicting to me is uh, most of us grew up in the individualist type concept Uh, that's America. And then that bleeds into our, our uh, Christian faith in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, it's like, well, I, I stopped doing plastic bottles like three years ago. I don't do straws. I, you know, I'll, I'll do these things myself and that's, that's good. Yeah. And that's a great, like uh, personal step. And I think that helps that that's a transformational uh, practice that I can do. But then to remember like that is not what's going to actually cause great change. It's, uh, helping things systematically, which again, like we're not, uh, not trying to, to, to parallel the two, but that's uh, oftentimes with uh, racial injustice, that's, that's a similar thing. It's like, we have our own personal responsibility with that, uh, that we all have to own. Um, that's the first piece for sure. But then there's a system wide piece that, uh, we are called to, lend our voice to or lend our whatever power we have uh to that yeah that's really good uh another just another quick thought on you you said this word earlier um creation care which is a little more Mm -hmm. of a a biblical way to say the Mm -hmm. phrase maybe but 
uh, I thought of this, you were talking about the rainforest and, and something I, I think uh, this is every human, this is just humanity, but definitely those of us who uh, feel like this God created this world is like, man, I think about my most spiritual transformational times. I think about just the most awe-inspiring times of my life. Uh, they almost all take place with the beauty of creation. You know, yeah. for me, currently the beach is a big piece of that. It's The beach is oddly enough a big part of my wife and my journey of meeting each other and fall in love and pretty much every yeah. celebration taking place on the beach. But I think of growing up in times in the forest or in the mountains. And man, the the injustice and the tragedy of losing those uh, is just brutal. And, and so going back to that term, creation care, uh, to, be, to be like Adam and Eve, uh, to care for this, this creation that we believe yeah. was made with intention and purpose and goodness. And, and it's so good for us as humans. So, Yeah, the pastor of my church in Virginia has a good line when it comes to creation care. He says, as humans, we were given... Uh, the right for dominion over creation, but not domination and, mm. you know, bull, bulldozing the Amazon rainforest and dumping plastic in the ocean. Cause there's nowhere for it to go is, is not dominion. You know, it's, it's dominating, you know, an otherwise helpless thing. And, and you're right that the beauty of it, the beauty of creation, the beauty of the redwoods and big basin, yeah. um, you know, of the Pacific, they're so awe-inspiring. They're so the, the material evidence of, of God's beauty, of God's That's way right. as an artist. And That's right. as beautiful and as inspiring as they are, it's that painful when they go because there's something permanent about when creation is meddled with and when it goes away, like when when a lynx or a tool elk, when they go extinct, like they're gone. Mm-hmm. These redwoods, when they burn, these two thousand year olds redwood, when they burn, like they're they're not yeah. coming back, and and so that's the as beautiful as they are, and how much they inspire us, they just suck the wind out of you too. When you yeah. see these things go away, that closing of um, the McCarthy book we love so much has that line: um, uh, the, the amount of things that could not be made right, things that could not be put back. And it's like, oh, that's yeah, like yeah. the greatest section of nature writing I've ever read. Of God, yeah, these yeah, things right, are right. just—they're just gifts. And man, when when they go, they're gone, and it is—it's—it's it's hard to see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and I live in California, and so we've been experiencing the the fires the past few years in a whole yeah. new way. And yeah, I remember they—they they were blazing through uh, uh, Big Basin, and, and yeah, just the. I remember some photos that were taken of those redwoods and it's just, uh, yeah, it's tragic to think of. I I think a lot of the, the big ones were saved thankfully, but, uh, yeah, man, it's just brutal to think about that. Um, I'd love for you to, to, uh, we don't want to put any kind of bow on this or give false hope, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite pastors, Rob Bell, uh, uh, always says, uh, where's the good news in this? Because, yeah. you know, as followers of Jesus, we got to believe there's some kind of good news of, of something in here. And so uh, even if that good news means, like you said earlier, sacrifice, you know, which seems so brutal. Um, 
But yeah, where is a place that we can play a role we can play uh, as community, as people? And, uh, and what can we practically do? Yeah, I, I think, I think before we get to the, the practical application of it, I think a big part of at least my paradigm with approaching the climate crisis from a Christian standpoint is, you know, what I said when we started, which was where we're led by principles of compassion rather than the likelihood of results. And I think something that yeah, is so good. hard, something that is so hard with engaging, quote, practically about, about the climate emergency is that we're going to have to make so many sacrifices and changes to preserve a, a climate and a world that honestly is still really bad. Because with each gigaton of carbon that we put in the atmosphere, we, we create a new normal. We, we, we quite literally create a new planet that, you know, whose atmosphere hadn't really changed in 500,000 years, you know, since the last ice age or something like that. And so I think I just, I give brief pause before we get to the like, all right, what can I do? Like the, the true answer is probably nothing, but the one thing we need to know moving forward is that with each degree of warming, a new level of human suffering becomes a reality. And with each degree of warming that we prevent, that's millions or billions of people who can still live a, a fruitful life, at least as much as nature would allow them. And so I would say when it comes to climate change, language of beating it or stopping it, I think is really not the way to approach it, but actually forestalling, you know, and, and also asking when it gets bad, what are we going to do? Um, because it will get bad. There's going to be a lot of people and not enough water. And it's going to be, it's going to be really, really hard in our lifetime. And so I think a sort of posture that's actually where I find hope in this is knowing that with the Christian life, that, that suffering does not imply meaninglessness and suffering never means beyond redemption. And so I admit that I don't, I don't know what, what it looks like um, when ecosystems start to become such that they can't sustain our, our normal way of life of Trader Joe's and the NFL on Sundays, but um, that time will come in our lifetime. And I think when it comes, I'm really happy that I have a, a sort of a, a faith, a Jesus to look to for an ethic to be grounded and rooted in during that one that is not rendered meaningless that's right. when it gets tough. And so I, I think, you know, I know that's still pretty broad, but I would just say as Christians being firmly rooted in an ethic of compassion is so necessary with climate change, because if we're, if we're just hungry for, you know, okay, I use reusable bottles and, I, I bike to work now, that's going to leave us feeling so empty and powerless. Um, but if we can find a way to really deepen our roots in, in a Jesus who, who, who feeds the hungry, who looks out for his neighbor, we will never experience the worst things as without meaning. We will still find Christ's you know, sort of redeeming love, we will still find our way to a meaningful life. 
as long as we are rooted um, in a Christ-like compassion that loves our neighbor first, um, rather than just thinking, what can I do to stop it? And so yeah, yeah. that that's where I find hope. That's great. I'm sort of taking the long way there, but yeah, yeah. no, dude, I, that's so good. I mean, that to me, that's the results versus process uh, uh, kind of faith, which I talk yeah. about a lot. It's saying the the biggest change for me in my faith journey the past ten years is is uh, stopping my uh, persistence on results and realizing that Jesus is after transformation. And because of that, to your point, like transformation takes place in difficulties. Transformation is uh, something that uh, you're never going to fully see all the results of. That's not the point. Uh, Mm -hmm. Transformation um, is in the process and what's taking place there. And I I love that so much because this is a great example of something where it's like, um, yeah, our, our American type view, we would love to conquer this, win this, uh, be able to say like, I did these four steps and, and it's more about like, uh, allowing Jesus to change us in the midst of this. And, and I, I, I love too like what you said of, um, you know, this, even seeing the meaning in the suffering, that's, that's like, uh, the Victor Frankl thing of like being in a concentration camp and realizing like the people who found meaning in the midst of that were the ones who didn't commit suicide. They were the ones who a lot of times made their way out of it because they, they clung to this idea, even in the midst of the worst uh, possible scenario, there's meaning and there's purpose. Yeah. And that's the, the, the meaning is like, man, God is, is transforming things for good. And there is go, going to be a new earth. Like that's, uh, that's, that's uh, crazy to think about. Yeah. But I, yeah. I see a lot of hope in that. I mean, it sounds, <laughs> if anybody's into the Enneagram, Kyle and I are both fours on the Enneagram. So <laughs> we're not afraid to dive into uh, things that might be depressing for other people, but but to me, that that is actually oddly very, very hopeful. And I think it's, again, going back to my kids, I feel like that gives me, that gives me way to, ways to teach them in the midst of, of what could, they could just be experiencing really hard circumstances, but to give yeah. them something deeper to hold on to. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just give just a couple of practical things, wrap up. Some of the most important reading for me on this, like I mentioned earlier, The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wells. Um, it's just a really compact, clear um, look at this. I, I really appreciate how he doesn't, he, he doesn't blink at it. Um, he really gives you the science and talks about his complications. The opening line is, it's worse, much worse than you think. So he doesn't <laughs> flinch. And I really like that. Yeah. But ultimately, um, I think it's important to remember that the story really of climate change isn't really told with 410 PPMs per, you know, the, it's not really it. And so I, I, re- I recommend this book, 2040 AD um, by a literary journey, lo- local, sorry, literary journal called McSweeney's are based right up in San Francisco. And, and they just collect stories from some of the best authors in the world every quarter. And they put out a, a book slash magazine and they devoted um, this copy 2040 AD to, to climate stories. And I, I love this because That's like, sweet. You know, the, the, exactly. The, the thing with knowing, knowing climate change doesn't mean knowing uh, 
you know, like the science of it and the carbon dioxide and, and, and that, but really it's the, the humans that it will impact yeah. and how it will impact us. And, you know, so that's why I think diving into the fiction, diving into the narratives and the stories allows us to imagine this in the same way that reading the gospel of Luke is more engaging than reading the book of numbers. You know, it's, it's people, it's character. And so, yeah, you know, the book of numbers on climate change, you know, can be the scientific journals and we need that, sure. but cubits and bits. Right. But um, yeah, That's you know, so I recommend this book as well. Well, I was going to, uh, I didn't know if you're going to mention some resources. I, I think that's a great, could be a possible next step. Uh, similar to when we've been learning about uh, racial justice is like, that's at least one step we can all take is the learning yeah. posture. And so we'll definitely, we'll put notes uh, in our show notes. Yeah. I'll send the link. feels yeah. like what a podcast person would say. We show don't notes, have show yeah. notes, show <laughs> whatever, notes. wherever we have notes, we'll put, we'll put some links uh, of those. Um, yeah. Anything else with that? Like, along with learning um, some things that we can be thinking about? Yeah, def- uh, voting is huge. I-, I think the best climate organization that I've come across is 350.org. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill McKibben is the leader of that. He's really like an OG of climate change, was taking it seriously decades before, you know, guys like me has been in it for a long time. It's f- funny what shows you this is that that organization, 350.org, was founded before we were even at 350 parts per million in the atmosphere. And so he started that trying to keep the world from getting to that point. Wow. And so now the, the punch in the face there is at 350.org yeah, yeah, is operating yeah. when the reality is 412. Mm. Um, if you live on the peninsula, Anna Issue is our congresswoman. Um, and so important to, to keep in touch with her. I signed up for her newsletter That's and I actually sort of email back and forth. I'm sure it's her assistant or something who's emailing me back, but that's just a way that I stay involved with. That's great. Um, yeah. And I think, geez, after the, um, you know, kind of impeachment saga back in December and January, that was sort of a reminder to us, that, uh, to me, at least that like, man, congressmen and women and our senators, like they matter, like voting just, you know, on presidential lines once every four years is definitely important, but geez, people of Congress, Senate, they make important decisions. And so yeah. uh, I know I've been way more up to date on, on sort of those, um, those elections and the people who we have. So, yeah. I love that, man. When I said this earlier, but just a, another uh, uh, just emphasis on uh, even the word politics, it, even if you say the word politics, it's, it, it produces images for all of us and baggage and thoughts. Um I think what's helpful for me is I think of the word policy. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's obviously politics comes from policy. It's not an actual big change, but I think uh, politics in our mind has so much to do with identity. Like this is, I can't go this direction yeah. or that direction because it's, uh, my right. identity is tied like up in this. And it, but policies yeah. invite thought. Exactly. Sort of it's like a policy. It's like, no, just what do you think here? Then that sort of takes away yes. the left, right baggage that we're totally. all. Yeah. Well, as, as Christ followers, like, I feel like we should have a voice and we should be knowledgeable about the policies that affect our brothers and sisters, our lives, yeah. fellow human. And so that just takes some of the baggage off. Like, no, uh, let's, let's get involved with policy and let's try not to mix our identity <laughs> within it. Um, yeah. 
So I, I love that you're, you're taking very um, tangible next steps uh, with that. Yeah. Uh, what's your last name again? Long. No, not yours, sir. <laughs> the Congresswoman. Ishu, Anna Ishu, E-S-H-O-O. Okay. So it's not Ishii, uh, like Chase Ishii. No, you're Dang right, it. no. <laughs> I was hoping they were like siblings or something. Yeah, it'd be awesome, a direct line. <laughs> uh, well, dude, this has been so good. Thank you for taking the time. Um, you know, I, my hope for all of us, everybody listening, myself included, is that we would not stop learning and that we'd be, we'd directly face the discomfort. Yeah. And uh, that word we said earlier, I, you know, you and I didn't plan, plan this ahead of time, the word, but I just, I think repentance is the, the spiritual term that's needed here of like, yeah. Allow God to wake us up, allow God to open our eyes and then not respond with uh, shame and yeah. guilt, but respond with turning and changing our ways. It's really good. Any last words to uh, the millions of people that would be listening to this? Millions, yeah. That's that's it. I said it. Say what awesome. I said. All right, man. Thanks again, brother. Awesome. We, uh, Thanks a lot, Adam. Yeah, man. See you, Kyle. See ya. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye.